Notably, wilderness is a concept absolutely absent in indigenous cultures where humans are part of the web of nature and acting with respect and decorum in natural surroundings is a matter of survival and sustainability. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. There's a bit of a backstory about this episode that you should know. Back in early March, I got an email from my dear friend from Cook City, Montana, Bo Fredland. Bo connected me with former Beartooth District Ranger Trouty Pari and told me a bit about the book projects she and Jesse Logan were putting together, Voices of Yellowstone's Capstone, a narrative atlas of the Beartooth Absaroka Wilderness. The email closed with, Trouty might be coming through Missoula this afternoon and you two should really connect. You know, the Beartooths are an amazing place, and a quick internet search illuminated how amazing a person Trouty is. So I gave her a call, and we were able to set a time to record. She also mentioned that Missoula adventure writer and photographer Aaron Teasdale had contributed to the project. Well, I know Aaron a little bit through mutual friends. I shot him a text to see if he could join us, and he was able to scramble his schedule as well. And as you'll hear, he actually joins our conversation midstream. So... Yes, this was a bit of a scramble, but scrambled situations often make for my favorite episodes. The book is stunning and important, and I'm excited for you to learn all about it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Trouty Pari. Trouty, thanks for uh, coming by the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All the way in from Red Lodge. And Cook City right now. And Cook, so you winter in <laughs> Cook City? This is our first winter there, but we'll probably be back. <laughs> oh, nice. It's such an awesome place. I mean, any time of year, but it's a special place in the winter. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you were a ranger for that, yeah. what, 31 years? Yeah, I was with the Forest Service for over 31 years. Okay. And okay. I finished my career as the district ranger in Red Lodge for the Beartooth Ranger District of the Custer Gallatin National Forest. Wow, that's a big job. It is. And you know, how much of that was spent in the field? Um, I put a premium on my field time, yeah. so I would say not as much as maybe I wanted, but I did get out in the field a lot with both my employees, with our permittees, um, and other people that um, we interact with to manage those resources, so quite a bit, actually. And what is, explain to the listener, like, what is the job of a ranger? Like, you know, you, you bump into one on the trail, or check in with one at the station, or whatever, and... Or you have sort of misconceptions from cartoons or whatever the case may be. <laughs> yeah, it's probably evolved from the days when there was just one ranger that covered, you know, uh, 500,000 acres and was on horseback all the time. And nowadays, the hand, we have computers we have to work with, <laughs> budgets we have to work right. with. And maybe there were always budgets, but um, especially... Um, the Beartooth Ranger District was a really interesting district, in part because of the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness. Mm -hmm. um, that was a big part of the landscape there. So managing um, recreation in the wilderness, but also managing invasive species sure. in the wilderness. A lot of research. Um, people wanted to do research. People wanted to guide others, whether it's hunting and fishing and other experiences mm -hmm. in the wilderness, but we also had 
um, a, a platinum mine right next to the wilderness boundary. Oh, okay. So um, we had um, we issued permits for the mine to operate there. We issued permits to the ski area. The Red Lodge Mountain ski area sure. was on National Forest land. We um, issued permits to ranchers to graze cattle mm -hmm. on National Forest land. Um, there was even a wild horse herd on the prior district or the prior unit of the district. So okay. lots of different things going on. Yeah. And when did you retire? Uh, 2015. Yeah. Do you miss it? Oh, I miss the field work. Yes. I'm sure. Yeah. You probably don't miss the paperwork. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so since then you've been, uh, you know, living in Red Lodge, but now wintering in Cook City, probably mm -hmm. skiing a bunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, interacting with a lot of special people in my life, Bo Fredlin being being one of those, and you, and in collaboration with, um, actually, well, why don't you tell the story? You have put together this amazing book, Voices of Yellowstone's Capstone, a narrative atlas of the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness. The book is beautiful, and I want to hear all about it. But let's talk about how this sort of atlas book project came to be in your partnership with with Jesse, your um, collaborator in this project? Yeah, when I retired, I took a sabbatical of about a year. Um, and then uh, a board member of the AB Wilderness Foundation approached me and asked me if I wanted to be on the board. And I said, well, I have a better idea. I'm, I'm better at projects. And I had envisioned um, doing an atlas based on, modeled after Rebecca Solnit's um, atlases that were all um, based in cities. In this case it was New Orleans. Okay. And tells the story of New Orleans. Um, New Orleans' people. And you had spent some time in New Orleans, right? I, after Katrina? I did. Yeah. I was on a response team after Katrina. Okay. And that's um, sparked my interest in New Orleans and I thought her book did a beautiful job of capturing um, the cultural resources in particular of New Orleans. And I wanted to see if we could apply that um, to the wilderness because there was sort of a gap in the literature about the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness. And so I proposed that idea to the board member and he said, well, your timing's awfully good because <laughs> <laughs> one of our fellow board members, Jesse Logan, was also interested in doing an atlas. And I think Jesse's vision was of a more traditional um, natural resource atlas, um, really beautiful GIS maps that would say, talk about the, ex or show the extent of grizzly bear habitat, mm -hmm. for example. Sure. And so he and I got together. And, and Jesse's, like, he's a naturalist. He's been, he's, he's taught at Montana State. And I know he's an expert on whitebark pine. That was sort of how I interacted with him. He's a well-regarded scientist, yeah. um, particularly um, whitebark pine, um, entomologist, um, I, it's funny, I went bikepacking in Canada this summer, and I picked up a book about the beetles up there, and here's a paragraph. Um, well, not a paragraph, a chapter <laughs> yeah. about Jesse Logan. <laughs> right, right. And in addition to that, he's the um, consummate um, outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get a hold of Jesse every time you think you're going to because he's <laughs> out in it, you know, fishing, right. skiing, hiking. And I'm sure you had known Jesse before this project. Actually, I hadn't. Oh, you hadn't? No. Wow. No. Okay. So that's that's the that's the really, um, we've become fast friends sure. and full of respect for each other since uh, throughout this project. I mean, the other thing that Jesse... Um, was interested in was um, getting better at cartography, and okay. this project definitely pushed that forward. Mm. So, um, so we uh, aligned our visions. So, just so the listener understands, like kind of a, to simplify it, Jesse's sort of approaching it from a 
describing the land, mm-hmm. you know, and the you're resources. describing it from, okay, let's let's think about the people and the stories that, that are part of this Absolutely. as well and bringing those two visions of the project together. Right. Um, and so that was uh, um, an interesting confluence yeah. of, of visions. And uh, so <laughs> we both come from the scientific background. We never had any, well, other than academic publishing, we didn't have any experience. And we didn't know how to start the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we uh, did a lot of asking for advice, like Scott McMillian at Mont- Montana Quarterly. And we would go out and ask respected writers. You know, Jesse and I had built a table of contents of what we wanted the book to look like. And we had um, made contacts with scientists and storytellers, um, people who could tell the story, whether it was the tribal stories, um, the geology. Um, We kind of wanted to focus on the margins, the stories that haven't been told, or on resources that are unique to the A.B. wilderness that need this specific place to thrive and so we had a list of um, authors that we wanted um, to recruit, and they would say, well, do you have a publisher? <laughs> and we would say, uh, well, not yet. And then we'd go to the publishers, and they'd oh, say, geez. well, do you have any content? Well, not yeah. yet. So we yeah. had a breakthrough, <laughs> though. We, we put it all on a website. Um, not all. We, we, we started out with a website, and we used uh, the work of some artists in residence from the A.B. Wilderness Foundation. Sure forgot to mention that the, uh, the one of the objectives with this whole project was to be a fundraiser for the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness Foundation, which is a small foundation, but which, in my opinion, does Herculean work with the small staff. Yeah, so have. tell us about what the foundation's mission is and, and how they execute on that. Well, it's a lot. It's a it's a multifaceted mission, and that's why I think they they do great work with um, just the little bit of staff that they have. Um, part of it is boots on the ground, mm-hmm. so they do several trail projects um, a year, and big ones. I mean, things that uh, have been you know deferred for several years because yeah. of lack of federal funding, and so. In the process, though, they bring people from all over the country to work on these projects, and that raises awareness. It creates stewards. It creates champions for the wilderness. It creates personal connections. So all of those things, um, you know, benefit the wilderness. The other thing that they do is they um, fund research. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, they do this thing called the Artists in, in Residence Program. And uh, they use the arts to create, again, um, inspiration and connection to this particular landscape through arts. And so they had a couple of artists in residence, and you thought, hey, great opportunity to contribute to this Atlas project. Yeah, so we put their work up on the website, and then we, Jesse, created a a base map of uh-huh. the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness that was gorgeous. And so, and then we used um, some work from our author John Clayton from Red Lodge and Brett French from Billings and put some content up on the website so people could start to envision what it right, was right. we had in mind. Sort of have, yeah, in the, in the language of business, like a minimum viable product, people can sort <laughs> yeah. of understand what you're up to, <laughs> you can decide it, if they want to be a part of it. It worked. It yeah, worked. I'm um, sure. And our first donor, um, we decided we needed uh, we needed some help with the cartography, and so um, we put out a request for proposal okay. uh, for the cartography work. And Tippett Rise, um, the foundation over near Fishtail, Montana, 
um, gave us a donation, a substantial oh, donation. Yeah, they saw the confluence again of art and nature because they're right there in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it inspires their musicians, and and uh, they uh, could see the where this book was headed, and they were the first um, major donor in it. And it wouldn't have happened without Tippet Rise. I mean, that part of it, I don't think, can be understated how complicated and difficult it is to kind of. I mean, you're dealing with you. You want really talented people to contribute their time and their energy mm-hmm. and their art, right. whether it's writing, whether it's um, photography, whether it's actual art, not actual, it's all actual art, that's pejorative, but y- you know what I'm getting at. Uh-huh. So they want to make d- important contributions, but at the same time, it's unclear how you're going to be able to pay them. Right. And so, yeah, this finding this intersection of, of, Sort of funding an opportunity is, is is a big challenge for things like this, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I guess that's the um, point that I'd want to do is make um, express my gratitude sure. <laughs> to the community that um, cares about the AB Wilderness and made this happen. So we had um, 12 major donors. Mm-hmm. Starting with Tippet Rise, the Tom and Elizabeth Granger Foundation made a substantial contribution, and several others that are more local. And then we had 32 authors that most of them wrote original pieces for this and wow. all donated their work okay. to make this happen. Um, artists that are, you know, sell their work, <laughs> you know, for substantial amounts donated their work to make this happen. Same with cartographers. Same with photographers. Um, so, and the other thing is that they came, you know, we had a, a pool. Um, this is a pretty rich region for artists and sure. authors and that. And so um, we didn't have to go far for this talent. And it was really a community effort. Uh, I can't understate that. <laughs> Overstate that, I mean. Yeah. 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 Okay, so Trotty, you were talking about the sort of richness of the community that came together to support this project financially, but also the, the, the rich community of contributors. And it really is a community. I mean, these people are all in the area mm-hmm. living in tandem with this, with this fantastic uh, part of nature. Yeah, and what I like about the book, I mean, it's called Voices for a Reason. Um, they're disparate voices for sure. We have scientists. Um, we have... Uh, the tribal members, we have um, users, um, you know, when you get to Aaron's story, his will come from the perspective of a user. And we have um, real generational voices. We have real young people. Um, Todd Burrett is um, the opening essay of the book, and he's, uh, you know, up-and-coming young writer and wilderness ranger. Well, Aaron, that seems like a good way to kind of bring you into the conversation. So, you know, what was your entry point and, and why did you say yes to something like this? You got a lot of demands on your time at, at a high level and, you know, what you contributed was a big lift. Why did you say yes? Um, apparently, I am just a sucker for beautiful, creatively fulfilling projects with very low financial reward. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a great value proposition. It might not be a good business model. <laughs> no, I. it's ironic that this is a business-oriented podcast and I'm on it. But... Um, but, uh, you know, I knew Jesse from years ago from doing magazine articles okay. in Cook City on pine beetles and backcountry skiing, and we've skied together and developed a friendship. And um, so when he started working on this, he knew that I had spent a lot of time in the Beartooths, 
with my father starting when I was 10 years old. Right. Um, every summer we would go backpacking, typically in the Beartooth. And then when my two sons were actually even a little younger than I was, we started bringing them in with us. And so we had the three generations of us going into the Beartooth. And it's a very special place for me. It's a very special place for my father. And mm-hmm. now it's, it's, it's a very special place for my boys. And um, it's where they fell in love with wilderness, I feel like. I mean, we really raised them outdoors, but there was something about that first hike into the Beartooth when we hiked, you know, we hiked in a few miles, we camped, and then we hiked all day the next day and got way back. And I'll never forget when we got to that that lake that was way back there, and we finally got over that ridge after about six hours of hiking, and my eight-year-old just... His eyes got big, and it was the power of wild places, sure. and I just saw it in him then. Right. And ever since then, they always want to go back. They don't even want to go to other parts of the Beartooth. Huh. They just want to go to that same area we went that first trip. Interesting. Um, and so when Jesse said he was doing this book, I mean, I, it took me about two seconds to say yes. Yeah. I will absolutely write that story because I, I, I want to write that story. It's just a part of my family and me. And so, Trotty, you're talking about the different sort of pieces of this you want to assemble. You've got um, Aaron's perspective from that of multi-generational users and deep sort of personal connections to the land. What other sort of voices did you want to represent in this work? How are you thinking about it from the portfolio perspective? Well, it's funny because I think that did evolve um, throughout the project. When we started the website, it was, you know... (laughs) Um, a more academic approach. Well, here we have the physical resources, right, the right. geology and the glaciers. And then over here we have the, the um, biological resources. And I, like I said, I like to focus on the margins. So we have everything from, you know, the grizzly bear and the pica, but also fungi and, and foxes. Um, and then we had the human sense of place. But then we realized, or at least it, it became important to me, um, to not separate the resources from the human side. Right. Um, I wanted um, to make sure that we understood that humans have been on this landscape for a very long time. And it's um, for the most of humanity, it's been, you know, humans have engaged with this landscape on a daily basis. And wilderness designation is a recent human construct, mm-hmm. and it was necessary to draw those boundaries and protect those places. But um, I've become a little bit concerned about um, the idea that when you um, set aside wilderness, um, that you've done everything you can to protect it, and it's always going to stay the same, that you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, and I worry that it just becomes a commodity. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is Cameron Lawrence, MIS professor in the College of Business, and you're listening to A New Angle. So um, from that respect, we um, did try to weave in the human stories, whether, you know, starting with the tribal voices and not just um, as members of you know, that were on the landscape in the past, they're still here. Right. And they're still very much um, engaged with the landscape. And so there's a couple different essays um, reflecting that. Um, Shane Doyle's essay, um, respect, uh, Reflecting the Crow Voice, 
and then Lauren Rausch, who is a teacher on the Crow Reservation, mm -hmm. and takes um, is you know making sure that the Crow youth are still engaged in that landscape. And he has an um, essay on what he has learned from Crow youth and the fact that they don't even have a word, a separate word, a translatable word for wilderness. Yeah, so that comes up poignantly in your opening essay. When you talk about the work of William Cronin and you know his views of, of what wilderness is and isn't, um, it looks like you, you might be about to quote a piece of your essay there. <laughs> He says, there's nothing natural about the concept of wilderness. By relying on wilderness protection, we leave ourselves little hope of discovering what an ethical, sustainable, honorable human place in nature might actually look at. The pitfall of wilderness, according to Cronin, is that by definition, definition it leaves people out. He argues that by designating postcard wilderness, where people are not allowed any permanent present, we assuage our guilt and then forget about our daily relationship with nature. Notably, wilderness is a concept absolutely absent in indigenous cultures mm. where humans are part of the web of nature and acting with respect and decorum in natural surroundings is a matter of survival and sustainability. Yeah, so thinking about that, Aaron, you know, and, and, and how you brought your, how you were brought into this place early on in, in your upbringing, you have this connection with your father, you've exposed your, your boys to it. I mean, how did that, how does that concept resonate with how you've tried to build the appreciation for these places in your, in your family? The Absorca Beartooth Wilderness is unique for those reasons that you mentioned, that it's, you know, the highest contiguous area over 10,000 feet in the lower 48 or maybe all of North America. Um, it, it's interesting, when we visited with Hank Rate, um, and we didn't get his biography into this book, but he talked about um, before the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness was designated, there were three separate primitive areas that were mapped. And they had corridors that went, say, from Big Timber over to Slough Creek, if, for example. And the wilderness fight that occurred in the 60s and 70s, um, it was an amazing piece of um, collaboration that's illustrated in Ed Kemick's essay to make this a more cohesive landscape mm -hmm. with the wilderness. So that's one thing. Um, so it has been at risk for development. You know, there's mining right up to the edges of the wilderness on many sides, actually. Sure. Um, and it, it's a, it has other... Um, things that challenge its viability. Uh, that's one of the things that I think is interesting about the geology essay. Um, we think that, you know, rocks have been the same <laughs> throughout time. And his essay demonstrates how dynamic the landscape itself is. And of course, it's all um, the change is being accelerated by climate change. And we didn't ask, <laughs> we definitely did not ask our scientists to, you know, make a focus on climate change and how things are affected. But it came up as a theme throughout several, many of the essays and just, you know, what that means to individual resources. Sure. And Aaron, you've made a career out of trying to illuminate some of these issues through your written words and your, and your photography um, you talk about how this place in particular, sort of in your experience with these these trips in with your dad, sort of motivated some of those life choices. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I had no idea as a kid that um, I would end up living this way in perpetuity as far as just always um, 
I think what it showed me as a kid was because there was a time as a teenager where I dreaded the backpacking mm. trips. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Minneapolis. It's like, oh, we're going to the mountains again, man, when I was like 15. It's going to be hard. They're going to make us walk all day. And sleep in a tent. And then at you a... Sound cer- like my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, this is something for all parents to keep in mind is keep making them do it. Yeah. Because by a certain point, I don't know when it was, 18 or something, something clicked. And then I wanted to do it. And then I graduated college and we kept doing it. And we've done a trip every summer since... Um, often to the Beartooth. Um, yeah, well, I think what started to happen is, is I kept wanting to explore. Um, you know, the Beartooths were an incredible place to explore. And as I grew older and more independent, I kept exploring. I kept exploring the world, wanting to see places, often wild, natural places. And I started writing stories about it because I was so enthralled. Mm-hmm. And that just organically grew into a career as a writer. It was not a plan. I didn't study writing. Um, and now, you know, I, I kept thinking, oh, you know, I got to take advantage of this last summer after college because then I'm going to have a job and I'm not going to be able to keep doing this cool stuff outside all the time. I didn't know then that that actually was my life and was going to stay my life and it was going to become the through line for wow. everything I've done since. Yeah. And how did that become apparent to you? Like there must have been a moment where you're like, wow, I can sell my photos or I can sell my writing and this could actually be a career. Yeah, it happened um, when I actually was doing a trip up on the Whitefish Range uh, up in northern Montana, and a buddy and I got lost, and everything went wrong, and it was a total nightmare. And I wrote a really long story about it and sent it into a magazine. Mm -hmm. And it was way longer than anything they'd ever ran. I had no sense of anything. And they called me a few months later and said, yeah, we want to run it. You know, can you cut it down by, like, 90%? (laughs) Um, But... All of a sudden, I got a paycheck for a story, sure. and I thought, oh, this is a thing, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and doing it really well. Well, trying. Well, I, yeah, and so how do you see your your piece fitting into this puzzle? I mean, did you have much of an understanding of all the, the other voices that Trotty and Jesse were trying to represent here? Yeah, I did, and and I think they did a beautiful job of really bringing in a diversity of perspectives um, the science, the history, the people. Um, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, they told me they wanted me to help bring in, um, I guess, exactly what I did. You know, this, this sense of this modern human connection to this place and what it can mean to us now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I was really happy to do that because, I mean, writing this story for me, this was not a hard story to write. I just sat down and just spilled it out. Sure. Know? It's a pretty vivid memory. Um, In fact, if you're willing, we'd love for you to read a little passage um, from kind of the opening part of your essay about this trip into the, into this sort of triple generation trip into the wilderness with your, with your family. Yep. By bringing me here as a child, my father passed on to me his love of wild places, a love carried on from my grandfather. Now my son's excitement sent a warm shimmer through me as if I was coming here again for the first time and everything was right in the world. As much as anything I can teach them as a father, I want my boys to know the power and peace of wild country. Since those early trips with Dad, I've spent much of my adult life exploring the planet's untamed landscapes. It's here I've come to see ravens and trout and goats and marmots as kin fellow passengers on this fecund orb spinning through the cosmos. I've learned to embrace the wild spirit of this world, 
no matter how some try to pave it away, and believe this wildness is the wellspring of vitality in the biosphere and the core frequency that unifies all life. I want my children to know this primordial energy, to feel it in themselves, to understand the current of this world. So, as ever, I return to the Beartooths. That's beautiful. Keep taking your kids, right? Absolutely. Keep taking your kids. So, Trotty, in your years as a ranger, I'm sure you saw countless sort of families experiencing the wilderness mm-hmm. and sort of learning some of these lessons in real time. You know, how, what did you what were you, what was going through your mind when you'd see families like that? What, what, what would you think about? I think that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, is um, this respect uh, for each other is kind of developed through experiencing wilderness and wanting to respect the wilderness and pass it down for you know as as we've heard seven generations and I really appreciate um your piece um and that it's it's one of those essays that you know we're trying to capture the voices and as Hank said at the beginning of the book um if you don't capture the voices all you end up with is whispers right right and so when you're thinking about a project like this, you're trying to document these many voices, scientific voices, human voices, natural voices, historical voices, cultural voices, all these different perspectives. And at the same time, you know, it, it draws attention to the majesty of the wilderness. And this is something that I think is a constant tension. By drawing attention, it more people want to go there. That's more pressure on the resource. But at the same time, it belongs to all of us. So who's to say who, you know, if more people is a, is a bad thing or a good thing? It, it's just a really interesting concept when you're thinking about places like this and how to manage them. Well, that was, um, we were definitely aware of that tension as we developed the book. It's like, this is not intended to be a guidebook um, to say, you know, this is how to get to East Rosebud Lake and beyond. Um, it's, meant to highlight the cultural and natural riches of the area. It's meant to give people a sense of connection and um, thereby develop a sense of stewardship for that. It's meant to um, leave people with um, a feeling of respect for the resources, for those who have gone before, human and otherwise. Um, And it's meant to um, develop a sense of reverence. And I hope that's what people take away from the book. Sure. And and Aaron, thinking about other spectacular areas that you've traveled to, reported on, photographed, how does this place fit in, in sort of that Parthenon of special places for you? You know, I hate to talk it up too much because it's, it's, you were talking about, you know, it's a secret. Well, it's, (laughs) it's the tension of being an outdoor writer in a lot of ways. You know, you have to be really careful about where you shine that spotlight. Yeah. And the Beartooths are really special. I mean, I mean, I honestly hate to say this, but I don't know of a better place to go backpacking. Mm-hmm. Just the alpine, the lakes. I mean, it's just so spectacular. Um, so, I mean, uh, it will always be a very special place for me and my family. But does that mean that you can't have really special places in tons of other places near mm-hmm. where you live? I mean, you know, it could be a state park in Iowa. Right. I mean, I think it's really just about having that connection with the natural world, wherever that is. That said, I mean, the Beartooths are as good as it gets. 
Yeah. And I mean, how has it changed over the time you've been there? I mean, you've seen population change, climate change. How have those effects sort of we are come to pass? we're definitely seeing more recreation pressure. And so that's I guess part of the reason for the book is to raise awareness about don't use um, the bear tooth as a backdrop for <laughs> for your workout. I mean, approach it with intention. Mm. Um, that's part of the message. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording. I like how you phrased that. Don't use it as a backdrop for your workout. I mean, yeah, I spent years and years and years running through these trail systems in pursuit of some race objective or training objective. And that wasn't solely the purpose or the the, the, the reason I was out there. But, yeah, rushing through these places, mm-hmm. um, not only does it have a certain type of impact, but it, it changes your, well, I mean, I'm going to assume it, it gets in the way of some form of connection. Well, yeah, and, I, and who am I to judge that? But I, I do ask that people, whether, like, like it's whether it's the state park somewhere in your backyard, wherever you go, um, you know, I don't like this idea that we've drawn a boundary around wilderness and you only are going to experience wilder, wild lands when you, you know, enter the wilderness boundary. We need to approach our whole landscape with intention, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, the AB wilderness or, or your backyard. I'm sure you were involved in some tough policy arguments about that sort of stuff, you know, whether it's permitting, whether it's thinking about different zones within the national forest. Absolutely. And, you know, that's um, that forest plan revision process is just finishing <laughs> up on the Custer Gallon. I don't want to get into the bureau. Yeah, you're done with that. You're <laughs> yeah. done with that, right? You're walked away. <laughs> anyway, it, you know, those challenges exist and they will continue um, to exist. And that's what I want people to be thinking about as they, as they, you know, wander through with your family, um, you know, be be willing to inspire the kids, but also think about how, how you leave it for the next generations. Sure. So the book is is selling like hotcakes, right? Yes. You, your initial printing, you're through what, like three quarters of them in, in a short period of time. Yeah, about two months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Understandable once you see how beautiful a product it is. What's next for the project? Um, well, we probably are going to pursue a second printing, okay. yeah, um, because summer's coming up, and we think we'll get some visitors that might be interested. But also, um, Jesse and I do want to pursue uh, what we started on the website. Um, Jesse's really good with something called Story Maps um, that's using photography and the cartography, and we're going to use some of the oral interviews with folks like Hank Rate, the, the district ranger from the Stillwater District. So I think the whole project will... We'll have a continued life. And folks can find it in bookstores in Yellowstone National Park and, and where else? Local bookstores around Montana? Yeah. it's. Um, I went and looked at Fact and Fiction today in Missoula, and it's there. Very good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's in bookstores throughout Montana, even some in um, Wyoming. You can also look on the abwilderness.org website. Okay. We're, we're distributing it through... Um, independent local bookstores. Um, again, that sense of community that we started with, we want to distribute the books in that same fashion. Awesome. And Aaron, what are you, what are you working on next? What's your next uh, iron in the fire? I'm sure there's like 20 of them. Yeah, I have a lot of irons in the fire. I don't even know how to qualify what's next, but I am writing a book. I took my kids to Central America for a year, and um, so I'm working on that. But, you know, different stories along the way. I'm actually... Um, 
going to do an article for Sierra Magazine on uh, grizzly bears, mm-hmm. um, which are one of my favorite things to write about. And uh, so they feature prominently in your essay. Mm-hmm. Grizzly bears are the best. They're one of my absolute yeah favorite. What Any draws ch- you so much to a grizzly bear? Anytime I can write about grizzly bears, I will do it. Okay. Um, what draws me to a grizzly bear? Wow. I mean, what draws us to the ferocity of this world? Right. I mean, the power, the majesty. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're just absolutely mesmerizing animals. And I th- and part of that I think is because they can kill us really easily. And yes. there's just something about animals that can do that, that is just, in, it's entrancing. And it, you know, and it ties into, I think, the value of, of wilderness in that it really teaches us humility. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not in charge. That grizzly bear is in charge. And we're just hoping to kind of move through quietly. Right. Um, so. What was your first encounter with a grizzly? It was on one of these trips, I would assume. Mm, what was my first encounter with a grizzly? Um... Actually, I don't. I honestly don't remember. Mm. I've seen a lot of bears. Um, I can't remember which one was the first grizzly. Anyway, <laughs> so you're working on this book about grizzly bears. Yep. Yeah. yeah uh, working on this article about grizzly bears. Article. Yeah. And um, and you know, I mean, I write about a variety of stuff. There's a couple guys um, that just skied across the Arctic Ocean. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Eighty uh, eight days. They finished. They reached their ship on the other side of the of the Arctic ice sheet on their last day of food. Wow. Wow. They were unrescuable the whole time. Um, So I'm writing a a, a feature on that for National Geographic that's going to be really cool. I'm really excited about it. Unrescuable. So no aircraft could get to them. Right. Just too remote. You can't land there. You can't land. There are some places, but, you know, no, no one's set up to do it. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. When can we, when's that going to come out? Um, It's going to be out in a couple months. Okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is an awesome project. I was really excited to be able to, to meet the two of you, to share the story, and um, just celebrate this, this amazing collaboration. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for leading this charge and getting in touch to share the word. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps Our awesome interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word. Be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.